Hello, Wrap Women, and welcome to Unwrapped, a podcast all about the badass women of Hollywood. Uh, I'm your host, Emily Vogel, and I'm here with your other host, Andy Ortiz. How are we, Andy? We're living. I like how you sort of hesitated before your name. You went, I'm uh, like, you know who you are, Emily? You're pretty cool. It's, a, like- it's been a long, it's been a long Long month, long week, lot, very tired, very tired, but we're, we're sticking through it. We're getting through. We are living. We don't have to be thriving. We just have to be surviving. That's what I've been saying for like a year and a half now. Exactly, exactly. And I feel like I have um, spent the majority of my month just curled up on the couch watching the Olympics and kind of like in envy of all of these amazing people and what they're doing. Uh, Dude, right? watching the Olympics? Yeah, doesn't it make you feel inadequate? Like you watch these kids who are like 17, 18, some of them, or like re- like 20, 21, whatever, and you're like, God, I, could, I couldn't do that at my peak. But I, I admit yeah. I'm more of a Summer Olympics person. Winter Olympics I watch less of. I still watch some, but it's just like Summer Olympics are more my jam. Yeah, no, here I am. I can't remember my name, and they're, you know, out there – Throwing their triple axle somersault twists. Um, no, I I got really into the Olympics this year. I they're incredible. I the snowboarding, the the skeleton, the fig, obviously figure skating. Like so many badass women too. And I think you know I was in my newsletter. If you if you don't subscribe, everyone who's listening, uh, check out rapwomen.com and subscribe to the newsletter. But it's kind of it's a good time. It's it's a good time. Um, summarizing. The Olympics and I was I was like sitting on my couch with my sister and I was like I feel like like dope is the theme because you have like Chloe Kim doing her dope tricks you have like Michaela Schifrin who's like being all pouty and dopey even though she's like still you know an incredible person and athlete and then you have Camilla uh Val- oh my god I always say her name wrong Valieva, Valieva? yeah who, who was caught doping and we saw we watched the her performance um in the women's short program and then yeah then she was announced that she tested positive for doping and then she still competed in thursday's free skate which she got fourth in um and there was i don't know if you saw like all over like tiktok and stuff but the the woman the russian olympic committee girl woman the one who got second was like freaking out there's videos of her literally like throwing a tantrum and then we don't really know what she's saying. And then like when she goes up to see receive her award, she's giving the middle finger like kind of sneakily. But like it's not like, oh, it's accidentally placed there. It's a full you it, like you had to work to get your fingers in that position. I fully missed this. So clearly you and I were watching different Olympics. I was I was with you on like the snowboarding. I wasn't as into the figure skating this year. I do know about the the Camilla Valieva, the whole that whole scandal, which was a situation. And I know that Tara Lipinski and um, the other Funny commentator. Hair. Thank you. I couldn't I couldn't find the name. They weren't you can, happy you can just imagine his hairstyles. Yeah, I can I can picture him. I just couldn't find the name. But I knew they weren't happy about it. And that kind of surprised me that they were like at, while they were commentating, they were like, we shouldn't have seen this. Like, I'm so sorry to the other Olympians. That surprised me a lot. But I mean, I get it. Yeah. Like, I, it's not it's not a good look at any point. But no, yeah. not at all. It's yeah, so crazy. I was so shocked by it. Um. Can I tell you a secret, though? Can I tell you a fun fact about me, Emily? Um, I I have love nothing more than a fun fact. (laughs) I have worn an Olympic gold medal before, and they are surprisingly heavy. I mean, not surprisingly. Yeah, because so I it was really cool. I was so I swam competitively from like age. Well, all right. So swim lessons at like four, which means I started swimming competitively at like eight. So from age like eight to 18, I was swimming competitively. And I swam like I swam club and in our summer season one year, they had this like event. It it wasn't like a workshop, but it was like a the best word I have for it is a workshop. And they had an Olympian come in, Josh Davis, who competed, I think, in Athens, I think it was. Um, He came in and he swam with us and he would let us like get, you know, 15 second head start and then come in and still kick our ass. Um, But he brought his medals and we got to wear his gold medals and so there's a there's a childhood photo of me somewhere wearing a gold medal and that's as close to the olympics as i will ever get but you know what it counts i wore it an counts. olympic gold medal it counts it counts i i love that i uh i have not worn an olympic gold medal but i uh because i grew up in china um and 
they had the Beijing 2008 Summer Olympics there. And um, while I was there, a lot of these, uh, you know, people who come from the middle of China have never seen a Caucasian person like in person, like in real life. And I mean, anywhere I'd go in China, they'd always want to take pictures with me anyways. But in this particular instance, everyone thought I was an athlete. And so everyone else, like, Wait. they'd come up to me and be like, you did such a great job. And I guess, like, I don't know if this is right, but I just kind of went with it. And I was in middle school. And, you know, then everyone, there was a full line and, like, a full crowd, which has happens when you, a lot of times when you go to, like, the the Great Wall or Tiananmen Square. But in this particular scenario they were like yeah you did great and I'm like thank you thank you like shisha yeah, you know um and that's I think that's when I peaked um <laughs> so thank you to all my fans at the 2008 Beijing Olympics um but we're <laughs> here weird. now we're here now wait this is this is incredible I love that you went with it like that is the funniest part of that to me is that you were like yeah I'm absolutely an Olympic athlete because like you said you said oh eight so we're, we're the same age so that would have put you at like yeah. seventh eighth grade at the at that point yeah and- yeah and I was That's just a, like, this is like going to be the peak of my life. I'm just going to run my, my couple minutes of fame. Well, I was going to say, what sport, like what kind of athlete did you pretend to be? Were you pretending to be a swimmer or were you like a volleyball? Like in your head, what would your Olympic sport have been? Um. Oh my God. That's such a great question. Um. I, I feel like maybe like I was a big runner. So like there was, run, there was a track, we went to a track and field event that day. So maybe that they thought I was that. See, I wish Emily, I, you know. You got to think this through. If you're going to pick up the lie and be like, yeah, I'm totally an Olympic. You got to, you got to think about this. What sport would you be in? So next time I got you. Next time, next time. I go. And then you, you got, got lucky. I need a one too. Yeah. I got lucky. <laughs> um, so but anyways, everyone who's listening now that Andy and I have had like our sufficient catch up. Um, we have such an exciting episode for you guys. And we love you guys so much that we have doubled up on guests for this month. We love doubling um, up. We're doubling up. We have, you know, women who are both on, you know, on the on screen and women who are also in executive roles as well. Um, So first up, we have Sophia Carson. Uh, Andy, she's a longtime fan. Andy's a longtime fan. Longtime fan. Uh, But you guys probably recognize Sophia um, for her role as Evie in the Disney's The Descendants uh, franchise. But since then, she's gone on to become an award-winning and nominated singer, songwriter. She's gathered nearly 1 billion streams, 2 billion views. She also reached number one on the Billboard Top 100, and she just released a new single titled Loud. Um, and that's just like her singing stuff. She's also an actress. She starred in Michael Bay's Songbird and Pretty Little Liars, The Perfectionists. And up next, she'll star in and executive produce Netflix's Purple Hearts, uh, which she will also, for the film, co-write and perform uh, the movie's original soundtrack. Um, so she's just incredible. She also has like just such a huge following community. She has over 16 million followers just on Instagram alone. And this she's girl so good. So to, she's so good to her fans too. Like I exactly. She, like, yeah, you like you said, I was a long like I've been a long time fan of her. Great story that I get to tell her, and I will tell you guys coming up in a minute about how I actually met her. But she's she's fantastic. I love seeing when people like her like treat their fans well and and know that like they're where they are because of the people that support them. And she's just like the epitome of that. We just love her. I love her. Yeah, and and I think too with that, she's also you know super big in philanthropy. She's an activist. She's also um sponsoring the Latin Grammys Prodigy Scholarship this year. So we'll talk to her about that as well. But she's just so great. Um, and she's so cool. And she's she's like talking, you know, earlier we were saying, you know, kind of feeling bad about all these other people who are doing all these cool things. She's definitely one of them. Because I think she might, I think she's younger than us, Andy. Um, no, I think she's, I think she's exactly our age. Our I think, age, okay. If anything, she is exactly our age. Come on, let's not, we yeah, can, yeah. she's still blowing us out of the water here, but like. <laughs> she's at least doing it at our age yeah and and um guys after we uh chat with Sophia though be sure to stick around because um our founder and CEO Sharon Waxman is joined by Nancy Daniels the chief brand officer for Discovery and Factual um so that'll be super exciting she's going to be giving so much insight to um what it's like to be in that executive role how to get there what kind of projects she's greenlighting and really how to build um a, a solid brand so be sure to stick around for that But until then, let's bring out Sophia. I'm so excited. Andy, are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Welcome, Sophia. Sophia. Hi, guys. Thank you. How are you? For joining us. 
I'm we're excited so to happy have to you. be joining you guys. How are you guys? We're I'm freezing, but it's fine. We're great otherwise. <laughs> we're I think Sophia, you're probably in the cold. I, so I'm in Chicago. Emily's in New York. So we are just Emily's fine today, but I'm buried in snow. So it's great. Yeah, I just I just oh, moved out here. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm in LA to not to make you guys feel worse. From no, where are you? Or originally from LA, right, Emily? Well, yeah, I just moved from LA. So I'm finally it's a little chilly, but I'm finally getting use out of my coats and my scarves and my yeah. all my winter accessories. So that's pretty fun. But I got my I got my snow uh Instagram pic and I'm like, okay, ready to go back to LA now. But <laughs> I'm set <laughs> now. in my apartment. <laughs> Did it for the gram, we're okay. done. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, Let's dive right in here. If if you guys will indulge me for a little bit, I want to kick us off with a story because Sophia, the story is actually about you. You and I have met before. I don't expect you to remember this even a little bit, but we met like I think seven years ago at this point. This was at the D23 Expo. And you were there for, I think it was it was either the first or second descendants. I forget which one, yeah. right? But we have like a little meet cute going on and I'm ready to tell you about it. So I was like waiting for you and your co-stars because you were doing like something else in a different portion of the building. And then you were coming to okay. like the Radio Disney stage, I think it was. So you guys are walking and people are obviously clearing out of your way and then rushing to the front so they could see you guys. I was already there. So in that mad rush, I got like <laughs> shoved and there's this like velvet rope. And obviously with like the pole, I fell like got shoved to the point that I fell before I hit the ground though I got caught Sophia you caught me so I've been waiting seven years to tell you thank you for keeping me from cracking my head open that was how we met <laughs> Andy this is the cutest me cute story ever I'm saying like in in if this were a movie this would be like how our best friendship started I'm I'm dead like I'm not lying about any of this I and I, I remember it was is, like I was go for it. I'm oh, you so look like you're clumsy. I'm so glad that I didn't hurt you in the process or that I didn't fall with you. And it ended up being a good and successful meet cute. Yeah, it was you were you had the you had the quick hands, and I remember being like starstruck in that moment because it was right before I hit the ground too. And I remember just turning and looking up, and you looked at me and you were like, "Are you okay?" And I was like, "Yep, thanks." You were like, "Great, I gotta go," and then just like kept right on walking. Oh, that's amazing! Thank you for telling me that story. I'm never gonna forget it now. That it, I've I've been waiting to tell this story. I tell my friends about it all the time because they always ask me, right? Because like we work in this industry, and the question comes up is like, yeah. "What's your like best celebrity encounter?" And I'm like, "Listen, me and Sophia Carson, we have the best meet cute. So someday we well, yeah. turning we go way back. <laughs> old friends, old friends here, old friends at this point. But Sophia, you have a new single out. It is called Loud. Clearly, I cannot relate to being loud, uh, but. In all seriousness. Clearly. <laughs> yeah, clearly. Very shy. But the video for Loud kind of makes me want to go to war, right? Like, I watched this video, and I'm like, I want to go fight someone. Like, I'm ready to go to battle right now. So tell me, like, was this your intention? Because if so, excellent job. It worked. Like, what was your, what was your mindset creating the video for Loud? I am so happy that that video made you feel that empowered. That was absolutely my intention behind the video. I wanted to create an art piece that reflected what loud is to me. And loud to me is basically, you know, dedicated to the women of the world and the loud voices of change. It's the call to amplify our own voices and each other's voices to be at the forefront of history and to continue being fearlessly loud together and to making change. And so the video needed to reflect that, needed to reflect the strength in the song, the soul in the song, the message in the song. And the story I told, the metaphor is the metaphor of a butterfly breaking out of her cocoon. But there is such a strength to a butterfly, the delicacy of the butterfly, but also what it symbolizes is these silenced voices who are now breaking free and louder than ever. And um, that's kind of the story that we told through the music video. It is absolutely beautiful. And a quick question on that as well. So With Loud obviously inspired so many women like Andy and I, but I'm curious to know who are the women or the Loud people who have inspired you throughout this journey? Absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, I have to name my mom. Shout out to my mom and um, my grandmother, who were the two female examples, the two leading female examples in my life, who always raised my sister and I to be fearlessly loud. For us, nothing was impossible. 
because you know being women didn't make us any less capable of anything and so i dedicate essentially this to them but also i feel so honored and i'm sure we all feel the same and you guys are a part of the statement i'm going to say of a generation made up of incredibly powerful women actually i take that statement back i hate saying powerful women because there's no such thing as a weak woman to be a woman is to be synonymous with strength so i'll clarify to be a part of a generation that is led by female voices who are women who are at the forefront of history women like malala women like Greta, women like Amanda Gorman, a voice like X, who are literally creating real and palpable change. And um, it's it's pretty amazing to, to witness it. Dude, your mom is so cool because at, at that same convention, while like we were waiting, your mom and your sister were like hanging out at stage. So I like talked to your mom and then I terrified your sister because she was telling me all about you and your, cause she's a proud mom, right? And she should be. And so she was like telling Stop. me all about you, all about Pal, and like, and then I met your sister, and I was like, yeah, so you're doing this, and she looked at me and she was like, why, why do you, I don't How know. How do you know? <laughs> Wait, Andy, so you know my whole family? Pretty much. I only don't know your dog, and that's really kind of what upsets me the most. <laughs> so if we I will. Just, I, I, part I, of the family him, I might have to bring him to say hi. Joey is Please really the him. only member of them that's worth knowing. The only one. <laughs> I mean, listen, you and your sister are pretty well because, like, and your sister does cool things too. I mean, she's got her own like line of, oh, it was like oh, it was. She, I know this. She, she does cool I things. I love this so much. No, my sister's badass. She's right next door working. She is the head of product development for a clean beauty line, and yes. she has two degrees. And she's a boss and she started this as a startup with her boss and they developed this into this incredible company. And, um, you know, she's pretty amazing. So, yeah, I'm pretty lucky to have her. I mean, yeah, it runs in the family. Do you just sit at dinner, you and your mom and your sister, and just be like, we're awesome, guys. Like, we're badass women. Hell yeah. <laughs> I um, hope you do. Not usually, but could you imagine if that was like our dinner conversation? <laughs> Listen, I mean, like, you're so not, cool. Well, you're maybe so not to bad. that extent, but like, I'm I'm such a big believer in like hyping up other women and also hyping up yourself. Like, yeah. if you do something cool, you gotta yeah. own that. Like, and Sophia, you're doing that. such cool things. I, Thank you. Go I think we need to have a dinner party when we amp each other up and we'll be like, Andy, you're so freaking cool. Emily, you're so freaking cool. Right? Let's have a hype party. Yes. I'll make us, guys, I'll make us mac and cheese and dino nuggets and pizza. It'll be very adult, very classy. Speaking of kind of hyping, hyping yourself up, um, is that being in the spotlight can be a lot. And we've seen many people, young people, particularly young women who have gotten um, their big break on the Disney channel, such as yourself. And we kind of see their career go one or two ways. Um, so how are you able, um, you know, we've heard how you can, you know, we can hype each other up, but how are you able to stay grounded through all of this? My family. Uh, I will mention yet again, my mom and my sister and my grandmother as well. Um, I think I also attribute the fact that I started in this business when I was already an adult. I was a young woman. So I got to live a normal life, have a normal childhood, a normal upbringing, even though I was always dedicated to my art and to knowing that I wanted to do this for the rest of my life. I wasn't exposed to the world of Hollywood and to the world of, or what it means to carry fame on your shoulders until I was, you know, old enough to under, not understand it, but to be able to grasp the concept more so than if I was a child. Um, so I think I'm very grateful to my parents for that as well. But I would say my family, I, I'm surrounded by an incredible family who, you know, they love and support me unconditionally, but for them, it's never been about the fame. It's about me doing what I love and me being happy and more so that what I do and the art that I put out into the world is meaningful. And that's the heart of everything that we do. And I think that's really um, what grounds someone. And I would say maybe perhaps my, my, my activism and my work with UNICEF and knowing that there is so much need in the world and our day-to-day -day struggles become so frivolous when you compare it to you know, a child 
in Africa or a child in Brazil who, a young girl who can't afford to go to school and who, who can't have clean water. You know, your, your struggles become so meaningless when um, you have examples like that on the day to day. Speaking of your work in activism and giving back, and I know you mentioned UNICEF, uh, but you're also sponsoring this year's Latin Grammy Cultural Foundation's Prodigy Scholarship. Uh, so can you tell, that, that was like a double, can you tell us what that scholarship is all about, how you got involved? We, give us all the info. Yeah, so I have been the global ambassador for the Latin Grammy Cultural Foundation for the last couple of years, and I have been able to witness and to contribute to their mission, which is to change lives through music education. And every year they release a prodigy scholarship, which in the past has been co-sponsored by icons in the Latin music industry, like Gloria Estefan and Julio Iglesias and Juanes and just incredible legends that I've admired my whole life. And this year they approached me to be able to co-sponsor the scholarship with them, which is incredible. And the scholarship will essentially help to change the life of a music students, um, a Latin music student somewhere in the world with big dreams. Um, a lot of them are prodigies who don't have access to an education and who otherwise wouldn't have been able to do so. And it gives them a four-year scholarship at Berklee College of Music, which is incredible, incredible. And um, myself and the foundation are both determined to do our part to help to close the gender gap that exists in the industry. And so we hope that with this year's scholarship being co-sponsored by a woman, that it will help to inspire young women around the world, um, Latin women around the world who hope to have a career in the industry to pursue it, whether it's in front of the camera, whether it's being a musician or a producer or an engineer, just to pursue it fearlessly. And um, we can't wait to see them soar. What would what wow. would baby Sophia think of you now? Like having your name attached to a scholarship, all these things you're doing, like if you go back and tell your younger self that like you're doing all these things, would would any part of you have believed it at the time? You know, even as I say it out loud and as I get asked about it, it's like I have a, a, like an out-of-body experience, if that makes sense. And I have to kind of step aside and take it in. And I feel so honored and grateful to be able to do these things. I don't know if baby Sophia, I think this, even this seems beyond what she dreams you know even something like being able to give a scholarship or to be a unicef ambassador is something that's just so incredible it feels so big and um it's even difficult to wrap my head around it so what i want what i want to know is being loud like using our voices and whatnot um and and embracing that power is there a moment that maybe it was baby sophia maybe it was sophia a week ago but is there a moment that you were loud you took a moment and you were like you know what I need to speak up about this like I need to do something about this that you are like a loud moment that you had that you are particularly proud of yourself for I do and thank you for asking me that question and it goes back to the very beginning of my career I remember towards the beginning I made a promise to myself that I wouldn't lend my voice or my body to a role or to a song that I didn't believe in because I really wholeheartedly believe that my music and my films and the art that I put out in the world is a reflection of me, of who I am, of what's in my heart. And there were songs that were being set my way and roles that were being set my way that were not in line with who I was and were derogatory towards women. And I felt incapable of lending my voice to them. And I had to say no often, and I was considered a difficult woman and the industry began to change luckily and all of a sudden to be a woman who stood for what she believed in and who stood for the values in her heart became respectable and admirable and that is something that I, um, I feel very proud of and I feel very grateful that I had the strength and that I had my mom beside me to support me in that decision as well and um, I feel very also happy that the industry has changed so that now there are so many more roles and so many songs written by and stories that are now being told by women for women. But um, it was difficult in the beginning. Um, but I'm very happy that we stood by that fearlessly, despite the consequences. I was going to ask, was it difficult at the time? Like when you were saying no, was there any part of you that's like, I don't 
I, I don't want to say no necessarily, but I feel like this is a moment where I really need to. Or was it always just kind of instinctual that you were yeah. like, you know what? No, this isn't right. And I feel good about that decision. I mean, it, it's complicated. It always instinctually felt wrong. It's just difficult when you have the pressures of the business and of men in the business in particular who don't understand. And it's powerful men, right, who are kind of offering you an opportunity that can change your life. However, you don't stand for that. So you have to say no. Um, so it was um, it was complicated, but I, I am so happy and so proud that we stood by that. I mean, you've had some incredible roles. I mean, like, I'll say it. I'm in, you know, oh, God, I'm in my late 20s. Hate that. But let's just say I'm in my Me 20s. Too. Oh, oh. <laughs> I say the same. You know what I say? My Kobe birthdays don't count. Therefore, I'm still in my mid-20s. <laughs> That's a great way to look at it. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> I like that. We are, so we are all in the our same mid-20s. Year, year. Every year. Exactly. <laughs> but, I mean, that being said, still even for mid-20s, I want to I want to call out Descendants specifically because it wasn't necessarily made yeah. for those of us. I mean, granted, we were not in our twenties at the time when that was made. Or yeah, right. Ma I can't math, um, yeah. but still, we it were was... early early twenties. I was twenty one. Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. So yeah. So it wasn't necessarily <laughs> made for us twenty somethings. It was made for a younger generation. Yeah. But Evie yeah. is still a role that like she's incredible and she, and you've and you've done this time yeah. and time again in all of your projects you had evie and then you had ava jalali in in pll the perfectionist which like love that and then you were sloan and famous in love and it's like it's all these incredible incredible yeah. women and it was that was i mean i going i guess going back to the times you said no was that also a conscious effort that when those roles came across your yeah. desk you were like yes like evie is a girl that i need to play Absolutely. Starting with Evie, Evie set the tone for that because Evie at the surface was the daughter of the most vain villain in history, the evil queen who, you know, raised her daughter to believe that she was defined by her beauty, defined by her reflection in the mirror, like so many women are still today raised to believe. And she taught the girls of the world that we are so much more than skin deep. We are who we are in our hearts and we are who we are in our minds. And that education can change our lives. And Evie is such a badass. And I have met, I've been honored to meet so many girls who tell me how Evie's story changed their life. And I will carry her with me in, in everything that I do. And I'm so grateful for the chance to have told her story. I have a question for Emily now. I know this is a Sophia interview, but I'm really genuinely curious here. So Descendants, uh -oh. you've, you've seen it. I know you've seen Descendants, Emily. I um, love Descendants. Like my my uh, my cousin's ah! uh, children showed it to me and I was obsessed. They were like, okay, well, what's the second one tomorrow? And I watched the second. And like, I kept watching them. They, they came in the next morning. We're like, oh my God. It's two on. And I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's so weird. So, I, mean, I called my mom and I was like, mom, you got it. Have you heard of this? Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's big in my family now. <laughs> but Thank okay. You. So Emily, that in that sense, if you got to choose, if you were the child of, I'm going to, I'm going to open it up to Disney a characters, villain. not just Disney villains, but like Emily, okay. if you got to choose sure. your Disney parents, who would you pick? If you say Gaston, I'm kicking you off this interview. I, we can't see. I, Andy knows <laughs> I, I, I have that. my, my Disney, my Disney crushes Gaston followed closely second by Prince but I know Thanks. this says a lot. Like I clearly have relationship issues. Like it's like bad. Like I, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, we have to talk Red flag. to other podcasts about your attachments to Gaston and what that means. <laughs> Thank you, Sophia. No, Thank yeah, it's problematic. Know. I think, um, uh, but no, I wouldn't choose Gaston as my dad. And this is interesting because I've obviously thought about, yeah, my, my, which ones I'm like, oh yeah. So not Gaston, but I don't want Gaston to be my dad. Um, I feel like maybe sleeping beauty could be my, cause I love to sleep and my mom's always like, stop sleeping in, you, you know, but maybe sleeping beauty would really understand my need to sleep and would not like, wake so. me up. Yeah. She'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm taking a nap. So that's kind of. That's what, yeah. I, what, about, what about you guys? Would you okay. have, I mean, besides. You go for it, Sandy. Well, I was going to say, well, I, Sophia, I want to come back to it because this has been bothering me since D3 came out. So we're going to circle back. But oh, if I had to choose, I, listen, I would probably split up couples because like I would love Aladdin for my dad. I don't know that I want Jasmine for my mom. But, but live action Jasmine, Naomi Scott, hell yeah. Hell yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. But, with you. Yeah. 
Sleeping Beauty was and remains my favorite Disney princess because, like, I watched that movie oh, on wow. repeat when I was a kid. So, like, I I can support Isn't your choice. Isn't crazy how much it shaped us growing up? Like, I did the same. Like, all I did was watch princess movies. My favorite was Belle from Beauty and the Beast. I would watch it over and over and over. And I dressed up as her for Halloween for, like, eight years in a row, like, zero points for creativity on my behalf. But I just felt seen because she had brown hair and she was a brunette princess and she had her nose in the book. And I was like, that's like me. It's so incredible how these stories have become so universal. Which also means that Sophia is an expert in saying that you cannot have a thing for Gaston. It's not right. <laughs> oh, you cannot. No. It's I know, right. I know. I know. I'm going to The woman that you are and have a thing for Gaston. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I know I'm always trying to like empower women and I think I'm getting, this is why I do not host yeah. a relationship podcast. Let's just be clear. Yeah, to be clear, <laughs> we, we want to inspire women with this podcast. But okay, Sophia, I have to ask because I, this is going to drive me insane for the rest of my days if I don't. Did you ever find I'm out scared. who Evie's okay. dad was? Or like, do you have a theory <laughs> on who Evie's dad was? We would, the four of us would always uh, uh, <laughs> make up theories of who our parents were. We don't know. My theory is that the evil queen, since she's magical, she didn't need a man. <laughs> That's wild. I listen. I support it. I really, I'm really okay with this. She, it's magic, so she didn't need a man. Um, yeah, we don't. We don't know who Evie's father is, and I don't. I don't think she was. You know, she was raised by a badass kind of bad more more bad leaning woman who would didn't need a, a husband <laughs> i there are so many ways i could make this weirder right now and i'm just gonna choose not to i'm gonna choose not to oh, i'm fully intrigued who, who did you have a thought as to who her father would be so for a little while i wanted to pull like a notebook and diagrams <laughs> yeah actually let me just pull up my no um no i'm pleased <laughs> But for a little while, I did kind of want it to be Hades. And then, you know, Dove as Mal got Hades as a dad, which, yeah. like, it makes sense. I, honest to God, yeah. I think it could maybe be Gaston because, was, listen, the vanity thing, right? Being raised, like, to huh, think that you need they to be They would have, yeah, they would have been connected in the vanity aspect for sure. Sure. I could see the evil queen wanting a pretty <sighs> man, and I could see Gaston wanting someone like the evil queen. They're it, literally they probably just went, "We're both pretty. We need to make a pretty baby." That's my that's Maybe my. Maybe I'm Evie's stepmom. I don't know. <laughs> this is not things I should be putting so much plot in. twist. Plot twist. <laughs> it's Emily. Sophia, I hope you're having a fun time with us. This is genuinely things that we discuss <laughs> all the time. Really, I am so entertained. This is amazing. Good. That is that is the goal to entertain you. But I want let's pretend I can be serious for like a little bit longer. Um, okay, we'll pretend. Okay. We'll pretend. Um, but I I would I am always curious because you do both. You do screen and you do music. How do you decide like when it's time to focus on like one versus the other, <laughs> right? Because it's it's hard to do both. It's it's like it's just a lot. It is. It is hard to do both. It's almost possible to do both but sometimes they both happen at the same time um and sometimes it works out quite well that you know for instance I finish a music project and then I go away for a couple of months to film and then I come back and we start launching the project so we try to schedule it out so that it makes sense because when I'm filming something to me it's really really important to completely disconnect from myself and from my day-to-day -day life and even from my music, just to completely immerse myself in this new character and in this new person. So when I am filming, I'm completely disconnected from the rest of the world. And then um, we try to plan it out so that, you know, the film projects happen when the music projects are done. And then sometimes it pans out that they're being released at the same time, which is great. Um, but, you know, it, it can be difficult to balance to balance it all for sure. Well, well, that I want to talk said, about. Yeah, go. You you were on the same oh, place I was, Emily. So you sorry, take. Because I, I want to talk now about um, Purple Hearts. Because on that, I think you know you're not only starring in it, you're also yeah. co-writing the songs, performing the song. So yeah. can you talk about that experience? And again, as Andy mentioned, kind of juggling it all. And you know, if there was a moment too when you realized I want to start doing more things behind the screen as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I'm so happy we get to talk about this. And I can't wait for you guys to see. And we talk once it's out. Um, Purple Hearts is a project that is so dear to my heart. I had the honor of being approached by um, my director, Liz Allen, while we were shooting Pretty Little Liars, The Perfectionist in Portland, Oregon, almost five years ago. And she approached me saying that she wanted to work together again in a different project. And around Christmas, she came up to me with a script that was in development and she said, Merry Christmas. And it said, Purple Hearts. And I had no idea what it was about. And my first thought was, Liz, is this about a red heart and a blue heart coming together to turn purple. And then she was like, it's not, but it is. And this will all make sense when you guys watch the movie. But essentially she wanted to join forces and to partner with me, not only to be the lead of the movie, but to develop the script together and to develop a film together with our partners at Alloy and Warner. And I will forever be thankful to her for trusting me um, so early on in my career to come in as producer. And so for four years, we've been developing Cassie, who is my my character and developing her story and developing the love story between Cassie and Luke and the script and the nuances and the politics of it all. And then um, I was lucky to be trusted to write the music for it. And I called Justin Tranter, who I've written, I've been lucky to write a lot of music with, and he was one of the icons of our of the last decade. And he co-wrote the music with me for Purple Hearts. And I spent the whole summer writing the music, and then we started shooting the movie in August. And it was like nothing I've ever experienced before, because usually when I play a character, you step in and you come into the movie once the script has been developed and once the music has been written. And, you know, in the past, I've been pretty involved and hands-on, but not like this. So I got to know her in such a deep and intimate way, like I had never known a character before. You know, I kind of grew up with her over the last couple of years and I got to write her story and her thoughts and her fears through song. So to come in to play her and to step into her skin was one of the most rewarding and challenging and fulfilling experiences of my life. And um, we're editing right now and I can't wait for the world to, to meet her and to watch Purple Hearts soon. I'm excited to watch it because your co-star, Nicholas, whose last name I cannot pronounce, was just in the with Camila Cabello. And so we know he's got a voice on him. Yeah. I'm excited to see this movie, is what I'm saying, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. As we kind of get nearing our our wrap-up time here, Sophia, if you're up for it, we always like to finish things off with a little bit of a game. So if you're up for it, we would love to play. Always up for it. Let's go. Okay. Yay. Okay. So this um, game is screener songs. So we're going to give you, I'm going to give you an Andy. Andy's going to play with you. So you're not alone. Various, various scenarios. And you uh, are going to decide whether it's someone, something that you would rather sing about or should be a song or something you would rather act in or should you think should be more of an on-screen thing. Cool. So we'll start out okay, easy. Cool. Uh, just like simple scenarios. Then maybe get a film will get a little trickier. And um, hang on, Emily, we always start with you, Sophia. We get your oh, answer first. Yes, I forgot that. Okay. Part. We get your answer first, then Andy will go. Okay. I'm honored. Okay, cool. Okay, so the first one is you're in a secret relationship. Screen or song? <sighs> That's hard. I'm going to go with screen. Okay, how, how would you play that out? Like, on, like if you were to write like a, like a series or a movie, how would you play it out there? Oh, I have to write a more detailed response? <laughs> no, 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 just like, <laughs> just like general concept. Like, would you like a series about it? Would you like, like a rom-com? I, this is me just, this, I just want to pick your brain here. I, I want to see what do, you're thinking. I think I would, I don't know. I think I would do a movie. Okay. And I don't know why I didn't go rom-com. To me, it went kind of dark. Like it was, I, this didn't end well in my mind. Oh, Okay. I I would also take it to screen, but it would be a rom-com. I don't know that it would be dark, but I would make it like a series. I want this. You know what would be fun is a secret relationship where you don't actually meet the other half of the like it's it's like a girl in a relationship you don't meet the other half and then you just have to figure out if it's good or bad along the way. That's my theory. That's my stick into it. Interesting. Interesting. That's good. Yeah. Complex. Well, Good, good, good. Um, okay, so next one, kind of the relationships. Um, okay, so you start dating a person during COVID and you've fallen in love, but you've never seen them without their mask on. So you only half of their face, really. Um, and then the day comes to finally unveil your masks. 
screener song. <laughs> I think this has to be a screen thing. I think you have to visually see the person removing the mask and the whole scenario. And I, I, I shot a movie during COVID called Songbird with Michael Bay where it was similar, where we had seen each other's faces but we had never met in person. It was me and KJ. So we did do that on screen. It was a really cool thing to play. So I would say screen. But this to me sounds more like a comedy because I feel like it sounds like a catfish situation. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't mind this being like a dating show. Like, I, I can't believe no one made this yeah. like dating in the time of COVID. Because they have Love is Blind, right? Where they're this behind a wall. so genius if it's like you have to remove the mask. It's true because a lot of times, at least when I'm on set, everyone is masked. And I don't fully know what people look like until... And then when the mask comes off, it's like a bit jarring for a second to match the eyes with the rest of their face. Yeah. I... Anyway. Listen, they've got they've got a lot of dating shows, so I think I think it could work as a dating show. That being said, my original answer was song, but then when I thought like dating show, it went that way. So screen, let's go screen for that one. Perfect, screen and screen. Okay, um, last one. There is a gorgeous statue of a person in the middle of a large city, and the rumor surrounding the statue is that when uh, they hold hands with their soulmate, that they become human. So the statue becomes human once they touch their soulmate. So you go in for a photo op. Uh, and you touch the statue for the photo, and the statue all of a sudden is alive, and you're with the statue. Screen or song? This also sounds like screen to me, because you have to visualize the statue coming to life. It also sounds like the kind of movie or film that, like, when you play with animation and live action at the same time. So I would say screen. And it also sounds like a musical. This is definitely a musical. Oh, that's going to be a good one, musical. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say song again. That was like, because like the, the metaphors that you could work into writing like a song about, like, I think that could be really, really poetic and beautiful. But a musical yeah. on screen, hell yeah. But who's playing the statue? That's an important. I need to know who my, who my man is. Hmm. I, gotta, I don't know. Like, oh, the is it? Is I, it I, I think it's up to you. You guys are the, the director or the casting directors. I don't, know, I don't know why I thought statue. I went straight towards like a statuesque man, like a like a Chris Hemsworth. Okay. Yes. Oh, he would. Listen. Can he sing? He would be good. He can Maybe sing. Maybe should try Broadway and like, and then he can sing. He he can sing. Have either of you actually met Chris Hemsworth in person? Out of curiosity. No, I haven't. Okay, so I actually did once. I did. And I did met you him. Fall into him too. You guys have a meet cute. We did not have a meet cute, Sophia. No, that's jealous. <laughs> you and me are the only one that has had such a such an adorable meeting. No, we had a we did I like a photo at a convention, and it was him and like a couple other Avengers. It was fun though because I said, "Can we do an awkward family photo?" And it's hands down the best photo I've ever taken. But that man is gigantic. Like in person, oh. you look at him and you're like, "Oh, oh you're you're Thor. Like you're actually Thor." So <laughs> you're just, actually Thor. You're actually so, Sophia. You're more likely to to run into him in in social circles than I think we are. Sorry. So just please prepare yourself. Is what I'm getting at here. Is if you ever find Thank yourself you. in the same I room with him, it. you have to be ready. I will make you sure have I tell to tell him you are actually Thor. <laughs> Listen, he's probably gotten far weirder. I have heard some insane like celebrity <laughs> stories, so he's probably gotten worse. Yeah, but. Um, well, I know we're running out of time. So just one final last question before we head out is so much of our audience are young women or young people who are looking to break into the industry or really people of any age. Um, any advice for people um, who are looking to break into the industry? I would say to first and foremost, you have to fearlessly believe in your voice and believe in your art and believe in your music and you have to love it. It has to be more than what you do but it's who you are and know that there will be perhaps years and years and years of knocking on doors that won't open for you but you can't lose faith because the one that's meant for you as cheesy as it sounds will open with you know relentless determination and passion and fearlessness and just to never ever give up to never give up beautiful well thank you so much sophia we've had so much fun uh, we can't see wait to see purple heart so thank you thank you for being so generous you guys are awesome time and embracing this chaos and we, we hope you had fun emily i just 
I just love Sophia. That was, I'm so glad that we did that. Um, I know. I feel like you guys just became best friends. Like I, I mean, listen, when you have a meet cute, like Sophia and I have best friendship is just sort of the inevitable conclusion, but (laughs) I'll never have that with anyone else again. So I'm going to hang on to my 10 minutes of fame on that one. But so thank you again to Sophia for her time. But of course we promised you listeners that we are doubling up today. We love doubling up for you. So we talked to Sophia, who is often in front of the camera and and both music videos and in acting projects. So now we're going to go a little bit behind. We're going to go a little bit higher up on things. We are going to hand things over to our founder and CEO, Sharon Waxman, the ultimate rap woman. And she is joined by Nancy Daniels, the chief brand officer for Discovery and Factual. Sharon, over to you. Thank you, Emily and Andy. And hello, Unwrapped listeners. I'm Sharon Waxman, the founder of The Rap and Rap Women. And today I'm here with Nancy Daniels. She is the Chief Brand Officer, Discovery and Factual. In this role, Nancy oversees all creative and brand strategy, development, production, multi-platform, and day-to-day operations for Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, and Science Channel in the United States, which is to say she is a big old muckety-muck at a big old cable network and makes a lot of big decisions. Under her leadership, Discovery had four of the top 10 unscripted cable series, um, including Gold Rush, a big fan favorite. And she also was in charge of Shark Week for all of you fans of Shark Week, which was the number one most social uh, special or event across TV and streaming during its run. We all know Shark Week. So uh, Nancy, welcome to Unwrapped. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. So, you know, this is a podcast where we talk to women in the industry in particular and, and talk to them about their challenges, their journeys, their path. Um, what is What makes you passionate about being a programming executive at Discovery and, and leading this big group of channels that you do? Well, I've been at the company at Discovery for 14 plus years, which seems crazy to me that it's even been that mm-hmm. long. Um, mm-hmm. And I will say I've, I've worked in many different roles within the company, including, you know, heading up production and development for Discovery at a time, for TLC at a time, being general manager and president of TLC for a time, and, and now in my current role. And um, I think working at, at this company and working on these brands, it makes you incredibly proud. You know, when, when I tell people that I oversee Discovery and the Discovery Channel, they have an instant affinity and connection with the brand, which uh, is so hard mm. to do. Yeah, <laughs> and it is. the fact that over the 30 plus years that we've existed, that we've been able to create that connection with an audience is meaningful. Um, and just again, from joining a company 14 plus years ago, if you had told me then that someday you'll be running the crown jewels of Discovery Channel, I would have never believed you. So sometimes I really do have to pinch myself and remember um, how far I've come and that I've been given this opportunity to run these incredible brands. Well, what's your background? Like, where did you, where did you start out and what did you think you were going to do with your career when you, when you, I knew I wanted to work in television. I loved the medium. Uh, that's what I went to college for. And, mm-hmm. um, I didn't know exactly what's your, what's your degree in? Uh, it was called telecommunications management, which was a blend of television and business, mm-hmm. which is kind of oh, exactly where I ended up. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, At what school? Oh, Ithaca College. At Ithaca. So that's, yeah, there's some great programs there. Yeah. That sounds like a very good one. Yeah, it was it was perfect for me, and I started out in the business being a PA and a production secretary, and I was in the early days of cable, working on you know the early days of nonfiction. So, you know, I worked on shows for HGTV, for MTV, for Food Network, all as a freelance producer, kind of working my way up. And back then, mm-hmm. you know, if you mm-hmm. if you were smart and you worked hard and you showed a little bit of aptitude, you could move up quickly because the staffs were small. We were all figuring it out. Mm. And uh, that's- This is kind of early days of reality TV too, right? It was just like starting to like mushroom as a a genre and as a programming category. 
Yeah. And then when, when Survivor and um, Big Brother, you know, hit yeah. huge in like 2000, remember that? It was, it was a whole new era. And mm-hmm. I ended up getting a job on the second season of Big Brother as a story producer, which was um, definitely a life-changing moment for me. It was, you know, going into a big broadcast level show. It was quick mm-hmm. turn television. And uh, it actually introduced me to the network side and to CBS. And that was how I eventually made the jump from working as a producer and being a freelancer, working over on the network side of things. That's cool. And so when you came to Discovery, what I really am curious, especially because Discovery is now going to be merging with Warner Brothers in the next couple of months, and that's going to be a big, big sea change. But for you, what is the Discovery brand like? What does that say when you say people are excited when you tell them what you do? Um, how would you express it? I think there is a um, a certain patina of of educational um, and excellent and depth of programming where yeah. you can go to Discovery and feel like you can learn about the world. I also yes. think there's a level of adventure um, and kind of epic visuals and mm. showcasing the planet that mm-hmm. people love about Discovery. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, there's something truly it's kind beautiful. kind of the word Discovery. Yeah, so there's, right. there's just uh, something about nature, science, um, technology even, but also kind of epic human stories uh, against a background of usually huge epic settings that really sets well, that was the, that's that's gold rush right that show that you um, that's gold rush George. that's deadliest catch right those right those kind of man versus nature but also you know really owning your own like kind of owning your own environment in other words these guys are out fishing the bering sea they are really true entrepreneurs and running their own yeah, lives and their own amazing. businesses, but doing it in such an incredibly dangerous and exciting way. I, I watched that show. I'm that show's been on for you know well over a decade, and even still, when I watch it, it blows me away. It's they do such an incredible job of storytelling on that show. And then Gold Rush mm-hmm. really just tapped into it, the the ability again to own your own future. You're you're not gonna. So this is play these are some guys who went out who are actually you know looking for gold in the 21st yeah. century <laughs> there really shouldn't be any more gold yeah rush, i mean it actually. started in the in the last recession right that's when gold rush started in, in 2010 mm-hmm. and it was really a bunch of guys who like couldn't pay their bills and decided right. to right. go out and just dig for gold it was kind of a, a crazy it seems totally endeavor. insane but yeah it seems totally insane um but uh, that was a big hit for for you guys um, I want to ask, what is the split, the gender split of your audience? And it might be different on different networks. Um, well, on Discovery, I think we're about 60, 40. It depends on the night. And we're actually a lot men or more. Women. Fem- oh, sorry, sorry, 60 men. 60, 40 so, men. Yeah. But it depends on the show. Something like Naked and Afraid, which is, is more, uh, that's probably our I'm most dual. Yeah, it's our most dual skewing show. That's a more 50-50. Interesting. Interesting. So then, because we talk a lot about women's leadership and what it means to be a female executive and breaking the glass ceiling and all that kind of stuff, how do you, do you think about that at all in your role? In some ways, you have to think about it because you have to be serving your audience. And if your audience is more male than female, then you've got to use a certain lens, I would think when you're talking about programming, how, how do you um, bring your, uh, a female perspective to what you're doing, I guess is what I'm asking. Well, I think there's, there's two different answers probably to that. One is how do I, how do I lead a team? Uh, and sure. how do I inspire mm-hmm. a team to mm-hmm. do their best work? And then the other one is how do I, you know, choose and decide and greenlight programming uh, for a very specific audience and nourishing that audience. And even if I'm not the core of that audience, right? And mm-hmm. the the second part is really, I mean, doing research and understanding the audience, but also at the end of the day, it's a, it's a gut around what is really good storytelling and yeah. what do we think 
will connect with that audience? Um, and what are they telling us every day with what they're watching and why they're watching it? And that's a constant conversation. So you're trying to surprise them, but you're also trying to give them exactly what they want. It's a really tough needle to thread. Uh, for any, actually for any executive, uh, greenlighting any shows anywhere, that's a tough needle to thread. And then on mm -hmm. the other side of it, being a leader, you know, I've had a lot of incredible mentors and people and incredible bosses over the years. And mm. you learn something from everybody you work with, whether you want to, you want to copy it or you don't, mm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And one thing, one of my mentors told me was you have to figure out, like be authentically you, you know, you don't have to copy this person's style or that person's style. Like what is your style? And who do you, who, how do you want to lead and be true to that? And that was such a, I don't know, it was such a revolutionary thought to me at the time, but it- Who told you that? Well. It was actually Marjorie Kaplan, who used to run Animal Planet and she was my mm -hmm. boss for a time when I was overseeing TLC. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you could program any kind of reality topic if somebody gave you lifestyle of somebody i mean because you know animal plant science those are like so specific and kind of gives you license to look at the entire natural world in a way which is very very cool you know but i'm wondering and especially for this audience to understand that you use the word storytelling a bunch of times reality television is not uh cinema verite where you're putting up a camera and just capturing you really are crafting stories and i think that's what makes by far the most successful shows so do, do you feel like you could do that for any category of theme or topic um i i'm yes i do and uh yeah. i i have i've worked across different genres i've worked I worked at CBS for three years over big, incredible formats, right? Survivor, mm -hmm. Amazing Race, Big Brother. Right. And then, you know, I worked um, on TLC for years and developed everything from, you know, Sister Wives to Cake Boss to 90 Day Fiance, which is a juggernaut oh my God. in its own way now. That's amazing. So that really is like the rage. So then, okay. Give us like, what's your secret sauce about like how you identify a great story? How do you know something's going to make a great story? Well, you know, a, another another mentor of mine who was Eileen O'Neill, okay. who was Eileen O'Neill. Oh, manager? No, she was my mentor back in the day. Oh, okay. Um, but she said to me, when you're thinking about green lighting a show, because there's a lot of people who will be like really pitching their heart out and really want to get it across. Like, and you, you know, you can kind of get caught up in a moment, but she mm -hmm. said to me, think about it's the night before the show premieres and the next morning it's going to come on. Can you, or the, the ratings are going to come out. Can you not wait to get up and, and see what the ratings are? Cause you know, it's going to be that good, which is such mm. incredible advice too. And so that's a good thing to think about when you're when you're like watching. don't green light a show unless you know there's something really exciting yeah in it in it yeah like that there's something that you cannot wait to unleash to the world <laughs> yeah to share with the world because they're gonna love it like if, if that's the feeling mm. you get from it um which has been again that was incredible advice and sitting in green light meetings and really thinking through shows, like, am I super excited about this? Can I not wait for everybody to see this? And there's been a- Right, but Nancy, you have to you have to program the network. You don't get the luxury of getting that lightning in a bottle every time. Well, no, I mean, look, the, this is a, this, this business we've all chosen is a business of failure, right? It's 70% <laughs> of what we put out there fails. Oh my God, oh my so God. So you have to- I mean, I think I always say that the best developers, the best development execs I have are eternal optimists. They have to be because, yeah. you know, it's really hard to find that lighting in a bottle, but you have to keep trying and trying and trying because you never know. Hmm. Okay. That's great advice. It's a business of failure, people. 
be be an optimist. Be bring bring your optimism. Okay, last thing before I let you go, what because we asked this a lot, what advice would you give a young rising ambitious person in your business today? Well, I always say to people starting out to um Whatever job you're in, make yourself indispensable. You know, be ready to do anything. J- jump in with whatever needs to be done. Read the room and, and make it so that when you're not there, they know, right? There's something missing. And, and that could be a, a little job or a big job. But if you make yourself indispensable and are really delivering on a daily basis, I've never failed to see people like that continue to succeed and move up and move up and move up. Great advice. I totally endorse that. Be essential. Make Mm -hmm. yourself indispensable. I hope you guys are all listening. Nancy Daniels, thank you so much for taking time from your very busy life. And congrats on all your success at Discovery. And we will be watching you as you continue. Thank you so much, Sharon. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Sharon and Nancy. There's uh, lots of great advice there, Rock Women, that we can apply to really any career track that you may be on. Um, but anyways, Andy, that wraps up our episode for this we month. We did it. Um, I always, and if you I guys- always feel like Dora the Explorer at the end of one of our episodes. We did it. We did it. We did it. Yeah. Um, guys, if you miss us in the meantime between episodes, Feel free to catch up with us on Instagram at Rap Women, on Twitter at The Rap Women, or sign up for our newsletter at rapwomen.com. Thank you all so much for joining us, and we'll see you soon. So soon. Bye, friends. Bye.